Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Debit card users, listen up. You've worked hard for your money. Now it's time to make it work even harder for you. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can get cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Earn on things like gas, groceries, and even that midday latte. And to top it off, there are no fees, period. Yep, that means you won't be charged fees on your checking account. Transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank. Member FDIC. There's stress in like, you got to go to work every day. You work at the local coffee shop and that's how you pay your car insurance and that's how you, yeah, there's stress, but there's something to that, right? There's like a paycheck. There's something. What I would challenge you to do is to look at where in your life do you have stress for no reason. Which brings me to my next piece of advice, which is to pay attention to the people, places, circumstances, situations, anything in your life that creates stress without good reason. And ask, just go one at a time. You don't have to take all of them on at once, but ask, how can I make this better? How can I take on this one piece of stress so that I don't have to deal with it anymore? Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me. And that's what we do on this show. We talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. Hi guys, hope you're all doing well. Let's talk about stress. Let's talk about stress in our lives, all the forms it comes in, how it messes with us, and some things you can do right now, today, to lower your stress, to feel better, to become more centered, more grounded. I got all kinds of ideas today for you on the show, and we're doing tricks, tips, habits, hacks, call it whatever word you want. I just sort of sat down with my journal and thought, okay, what are things that really help me to lower stress or to combat stress? 
And that's what we're going to talk about today on the show. Let's start with the number one thing on my list is laughing. Don't roll your eyes at me. This is not Pollyanna. This is not me being like, you know, the sun will come out tomorrow. It will. I promise. I am an eternal optimist, which is freaking saying something (laughs) given the stuff that I keep finding a way to live through. I am still an eternal optimist. I always will be. I believe life is hard and good and awful sometimes and scary sometimes, but It's a cycle. It's a season. It will get better. That being said, laughing does absolutely help you to lower stress. In any given moment, you could pull up, you know, your favorite comic on YouTube. You could call your friend that always makes you laugh until you pee your pants. You could right now reach out to your funniest friend or your girl group or your buddies and say, hey, I really need to laugh my face off this week. What night are we going to grab happy hour? Hey, who can get to the driving range with me this weekend? Who can meet up for this moment? How can you intentionally build your schedule around moments that are going to bring you joy? How can you make sure that you're interacting with fun people? Like, look, you got to interact with your mother-in-law all the time. She's no fun. You, you know that you, you got to go to the family party this week and you're going to have to interact with her. So how can you be intentional about making sure that you have something to balance that out? Uh, recently, we were having dinner and my 10-year-old was like, mom, what's your favorite thing in the whole world? And I was like, in what category? And he said, no, any, everything, like all, uh, everything, the whole world, you only get to choose one thing. What is your favorite thing? And I thought about it for a minute and I was like, I guess it's when all of us, like everyone in the family, we're all laughing so hard, like we're going to pee our pants. It doesn't happen all the time. We laugh a lot, but there are those moments where something happens that we are dying laughing and we'll remember those moments forever. Like the one that when I said this to him, we all started laughing, remembering this moment which was we're at a restaurant in Hawaii, Monkey Pod, one of my favorites. We're at Monkey Pod in Koalina, and my son, Ford, who's 10, had ordered a Shirley Temple. It was, you know, big family dinner. You get to have a sweet drink. He orders a Shirley Temple. They bring it to him. He's 10. He's old enough. He seems capable. Uh, They bring it to him in a glass. You know, my daughter, who's five, she gets like a cup but they bring his in a glass. And we're all sitting there, whole family having a great time. It's a big tradition for us to go to this restaurant. And I don't even remember what happened or why, but Ford wasn't paying attention and knocked his glass off of the table. It fell to the floor. It broke into 10,000 pieces. Everyone heard it in the restaurant. It's one of those like record scratch moments. We're all like, oh, forward like oh my god you know and the the restaurant's very used to families and kids so they're like no worries no worries we'll get it and they all start cleaning it up the whole crew of people comes over lots of people in flip-flops because we're in hawaii so trying to clean up all this glass that ford's dropped on the ground it's a whole thing you know his teenage brothers are like oh ford come on like embarrassing whatever they clean it all up it takes the whole thing we're like okay we're fine buddy this is why we say you got to be careful They feel bad because he's like knocked his drink over. They bring him a new drink and we're all like, whatever. 
y'all, 90 seconds, maybe, maybe two minutes. The second that he stopped like drinking, he went to talk to his brother again and he knocked the glass onto the ground where it shattered into 10,000 pieces. And it, we could not breathe. It was so forward. Like he's such a artist and he's like the absent-minded professor. And like these people had just cleaned up this glass. Everyone had just seen him. And I swear to you, two minutes didn't go by and it fell on the floor. And we were like, nobody could breathe. It was, we were laughing so hard. We were like, we're so sorry for it. It's like, I'm so sorry. You can't replicate that moment. But when it happens, when all of us are laughing so hard, like your stomach hurts because you just, it's so special to me. It's my favorite thing in the world. When everyone in the family is just all laughing together over something. I can't replicate a moment where Ford accidentally breaks a glass twice in, you know, less than 10 minutes. But I will tell you that many, many, many of our moments like that where we are laughing together is when we are on vacation or when we are at a restaurant together. And so we are very intentional. I say we, they're kids. I am very intentional about creating opportunity for that to happen again. I love traveling with my kids. It's one of my favorite things. I set aside special money so that I can do that. I am, of everything in my life, I am most indulgent with my travel because I don't just travel by myself. I travel with, you know, four kids. I'm rolling deep. But for me, that is so sacred. Like, that's why I work this hard. That's why I do as many episodes of the show. That's why, that's what keeps me going when I'm writing the book and I feel discouraged and I'm like, I'm a terrible writer. Nobody cares. This is garbage, which by the way, every writer feels like that. I'm really intentional about travel. And so I understand the hard work or the stress that I'm encountering is because there's a payoff at the end. Creating moments where you can laugh and making sure that is a regular part of your life it doesn't have to be travel with your kids. It can be anything. But have you consciously thought ever about what in your life brings you joy? What in your life creates opportunity for you to have a really good time, for you to laugh and have fun and experience passion and excitement? You know, maybe it's going to a concert or you want to take horseback riding lessons or you love golf and you haven't gone in the longest time, like this life is not supposed to be just work. It's not supposed to be drudgery. It's not supposed to be monotony. If your life starts to feel monotonous, something is wrong. Something is wrong. Because even when I was working three jobs, in fact, that wasn't monotonous. When I was young and broke and working three jobs, there was nothing monotonous about that. You're just like trying to survive. But there are times in life where you just sort of get in this cycle, get up, get the kids to school, go to work, make dinner, get the kids to bed, get up, get the kids to school. And it just, you have to be careful. Too often we think, oh, I'm doing this thing now because later, like when I retire, when I'm older, when the kids are older, someday when this happens, someday when that, then life's going to feel fun. Then life's going to be less stressed. Y'all, no, that is not how this works. Life is 
fleeting. Life can that fast be done. It's happened too many times to too many people I love and care about to not carry this with me in every moment. Life's going to have stress. It is. Of course it is. We're living, breathing human beings. And if you're listening to this show or you're watching on YouTube, there's probably a chance that you're a human being who's kind of working on themselves and trying to do something and trying to level up. That's going to come with stress. Billie Jean King said, pressure is a privilege. Anytime you're trying to level up, you're adding pressure, which means you're going to add stress. You just got to make sure that you're balancing it out. I am taking my four children away this weekend to go skiing. And I think if you're a parent like me, you understand how important it is to have a kitchen available to you when you have four kids, which is why Airbnb is always the place that I head to just make the vacation easier. And I have always used Airbnb as a place to stay, whether it was for work or family or a girl's weekend. But more and more, my friends are using Airbnb in a totally different way as a business, as a way to invest in property and earn money for it. While you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some extra money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Almost every morning of my life, I have oatmeal. Seriously, during the winter, having something hot in the morning really makes a big difference in my day. Quaker has been a trusted name in oatmeal for over 145 years, which means they've been milling oats since before the invention of the zipper, the stop sign, or ballpoint pens. Quaker has something for everyone, whether it's old-fashioned or quick oats that are good for cooking or baking. And while a ton of things have changed, the good stuff remains the same. Quaker, getting up to some good since 1877. Look for Quaker Oats at your local grocery store. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Next thing that you can do to lower stress orgasms. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I want to catch your attention right here at the top. <laughs> I wanted to make a list of things that maybe you haven't heard before, that maybe you haven't considered would be really helpful to you. And having a fabulously fulfilling sex life is one of those things, whether you are having sex with a partner or just with yourself. Orgasms. Let's talk about it. Let's start right with the fact that 
the way I was raised, the way I grew up, it was very inappropriate. It was very taboo to talk about sex, to admit that you were having sex. The only way you were even, I'm using air quotes, allowed to have sex was if you were married and you know, grew up in a church and a culture that said you are going to be a virgin until you get married. And then as soon as you get married, you need to flip some kind of switch. Now you are a lady in the streets and a freak in the sheets and you better know what you're doing. And never once did I hear someone say that sex was complicated, that it came with emotions, that you might not know what you were doing. Your partner might not know what they were doing it all would feel confused. It's just a bag of crap. If you have no experience and if you are a human being, which means that you've probably got some kind of preconceived baggage around sex or around masturbation or around feeling good or any of that stuff, it's going to affect the way that you're able to enjoy or not enjoy sexual acts. And that's not even taking into account if you have a history of abuse from a partner or if there are certain things surrounding your sexuality that don't feel safe or you feel like the people in your life haven't embraced. There's just, it's a whole host of things. I did an episode recently with Emily Nagoski where we talked about women and sex and the narrative and how to have better sex and the psychology that goes into it. And if you did not listen to that episode, I highly recommend it. Top line, what I wanted to say today is orgasms are one of the greatest, easiest to access stress relief things that I know of in the world. And they're only good for you. Like, it's not like I would be like, oh, go have a glass of wine. That might help you calm down. There's negativity. There's negative things. There's stuff in that glass of wine that are not great for you. Everything in an orgasm is great for you. Seriously. So if you haven't had one in a minute, this is your your pal Rach saying, that's a way to go. That's something to consider. That's something you should try. Easiest way is probably by yourself. Um, I know not everybody feels comfortable with that. Everyone feels different ways about that kind of experience. But if you needed a girlfriend today to tell you to experiment with that, uh, I will be that friend. And if you're like, okay, Rachel, number one, this is embarrassing me. Number two, I can't believe we're talking about this. Number three, I've never really done that. I don't know. Okay, cool. It's just an experiment. It's just you figuring out what feels good to you. It's just you seeing what you like. And in my humble opinion, it's almost impossible to orgasm with a partner if you have no idea what you like when you're by yourself. Because what you enjoy when you're by yourself is the same kind of things that are going to play into a situation with your partner. So if nothing else, it's going to make your sex life better because you're going to be more comfortable with your own body. And I think, oh my God, you guys, there were so many years that I felt shame around that. I think the first time that I like realized that if I touched myself in a certain way and it it felt good, I was probably like 12 or 13. I honestly this is hilarious and ridiculous, but I was in the pool 
And I was like, I got out of the pool and like, you know, when you're little and you sort of, there aren't steps, you like push yourself up on the edge of the pool. When I pushed myself up on the edge of the pool, I was like, whoa, like, what was that? And I remember that I was like, what just happened? I was by myself swimming and I remember being like, okay, how, how do I make that thing happen again? And that was a start of like, what is going on with my body and what is this and how does this work? And I think like most kids, there was a, you're like, oh, I want to see how to do this. But then if you have been shamed and in the Pentecostal church, there is so much shame around masturbation or pleasure, frankly, that you're also like grappling with this feels really good. And it's also, I'm, you know, sinning. I'm for sure going to go to hell. Oh my God. What if someone finds out? It's just all of this crap. So it took a very long time to get to a place where I could masturbate and feel unashamed of that. I, I couldn't, like me 10 years ago, couldn't even imagine a world where I'm just saying the word masturbation to you, like no big deal. So I think like anything else, there's a practice of kind of unlearning the fucked up psychology that was put on us by other people. It's so wild, just as a side note, I sometimes think about how crazy it is that I don't know what it's like now and I don't know what's being taught now, but growing up in the 80s and 90s in a really conservative church, there was so much shame around masturbation, but also equal shame around sex before marriage. So you have all of these people, teenagers, early 20s, all these people who like the only way then that they are quote unquote, allowed to experience sexual pleasure is if they get married, which is the most insane, is so crazy. Like you're not allowed to have sex, but also do nothing with these feelings. And if your body feels this way, something's wrong with you. So there's that. Besides the point of our conversation today, I want to say that because if you grew up with some kind of weird psychology around you feeling pleasure, that's not going to go away. And to be honest, I don't think that that really truly left my system until I, I got divorced. Because I got divorced at 37 and I was single and I was like, oh, wait, I am not ready to have a partner. I'm not ready to have sex again, but I also would like to feel pleasure. And so then it was like this crazy undoing of like, why do I feel weird about this? Why do I still have like, why can't I do this and experience this and have an orgasm and then just like go on with my life? Why do I have to go down some kind of weird shame spiral? So I had to unpack that a lot to do some therapy about it and kind of look at this situation through the lens of the grown woman that I am, not the child that was told unhealthy things about her sexuality. And all of that to say, big fan, big fan of the orgasm, however it comes to you. And so many women are raised to believe that their sexual interaction is more important for their partner than it is for them. And I call bullshit. I think if you have a great sex life, if you're having orgasms regularly by yourself or with another person, it is so good for you. It makes you feel so good. There's, I'm sure, all kinds of data around it lowering your cortisol, make you feel good. 
my headline for you today is if you're feeling stressed, this is a great thing to add to your life. Go play with yourself. <laughs> or not. Maybe save that for later. Uh, but yeah, let's start there. Having a good time. If you can, every day. Every day. Try that. I mean, just how about just once? Just see what, yeah. Go, go, go do something. Go click your mouse. Go, uh, I don't even know the language. I don't know the words. I don't know the terminology. But um, either you or someone else make you feel good. The third thing that really helps with stress is not as exciting but very real. Working out. Moving your body every single day. And yes, you know this is true. But if you are waiting until you're super stressed to go work out, it's not going to be as effective because if you wait until you are stressed out to try and get a workout in, I just feel like your odds of actually completing that workout or getting to the gym or getting out on a run are so much harder. You don't feel good and you want to feel better in that moment. And there's so many other things that you can reach for, alcohol, a cigarette, a pill, drugs, food as a coping mechanism. There's all kinds of things that you can do that will lower your stress faster, even if they're negative effects, even if later they might bring more stress to your life. Your instinct in a moment where you're feeling stressed out is to reach for what will work right now. So workouts are incredible if they're on offense. Offense is I'm going to do this thing every single day as part of my habit stack, as part of my routine and my ritual, and I'm going to feel better overall because I do this every single day. It's a part of my life versus I'm going to try and use this as a tool to help me after I'm already stressed out, after I'm already triggered. That's the difference between working out on offense, like, hey, this is a part of my life. And working out on defense, I'm going to wait until I feel really stressed out and then I'm going to throw a medicine ball at the ground a thousand times. It is going to be way more effective if you are using daily movement to lower your stress hormones on the daily rather than waiting until it gets really bad. Now, certainly there are times in my life where I already did my morning workout, let's say, but something happens, I get super stressed out, and then I will do a physical activity because I know that works really well for me. For instance, if you are someone who has anxiety, physical activity is actually a great option if you need an additional thing to help lower stress after it's already happened. What pops into my head is... At the beginning of COVID, when we all went into lockdown, I remember working from home. We'd been at home for like 10 days, and it was just like such a crazy time period. We didn't really know what was going on. It was still very unsure. It was still kind of like, what's happening? And I remember I sent my ex-husband was like, well, I'll go to the grocery store. And it was still like where you could go to the grocery store, but should I wear a mask? Should I not? It was like very confusing. And he went to the grocery store and there was like, there was nothing. If you remember that time period when like the shelves were empty, people were freaking out, they were panic buying. And he went there and it was like, he could get stuff, but it wasn't, 
it was just scary. I just remember being scared. I remember him coming home and being like, holy crap, there's, you know, this is what I got. Like, this is what we can use. And I remember feeling so stressed out. And it was like two o'clock in the afternoon. And I wanted to reach for a drink. I wanted to reach for something that would make me feel better. And I remember putting on my sneakers and going and running around the neighborhood, like just running several times to try and I needed to get it out of my body. If you're someone who struggles with anxiety, that can often trigger a fight or flight response inside of you. And if you're feeling that kind of trigger, at least for me, it helps if my body feels like I went into, quote, flight, right? Like I, I ran. That response exists from way back in the day when we were cavemen and we needed to be on the lookout for the saber-toothed tiger. So if you see a saber-toothed tiger, your body would flood with cortisol, would flood with adrenaline, right? And it would be like, you're going to use this chemical flooding your system. Your muscles just got pumped bigger. You have more energy so you can get away. That's what's going on inside of you. Sometimes that happens to us because we're stressed out by traffic, because we're stressed out that we're going to be late to pick up the kids, because we're stressed out because we got into an argument with our partner, the same kind of chemicals are flooding your system as if you were confronted by a saber-toothed tiger. That's when it can be really helpful to literally move to just work that energy through your body. And I just want to circle back to the idea that the stress that you have in your life needs to have a why. That's my next piece of advice about how to relieve stress is to take on stress or be willing to have stress in your life if it's leading to something. If I want to have really strong arms because I want to be able to do pull-ups, I secretly really want to be able to do pull-ups, and I need upper body strength in order to be able to do pull-ups, well, the exercises that I do to make my arms stronger, that's stress. I'm putting stress on my muscles so that they break down and grow back stronger than they were before. There's stress that's worth it. The stress of producing this podcast for y'all, this is my passion. This is my heart. I am so lucky that every single day, like this is my job. I write books. I do a podcast. That's what I do for work. It feels bananas that I get to have conversations with people <laughs> for a job, but thank you, God, that I'm so grateful that this is my work. It's still stressful. There's a lot of components to this. There's a lot of, is this interview going to be good? Is this guest someone who is going to show up and for sure be high? And like, I'm trying to, you know, weave a conversation and make it make sense, which has absolutely happened with more celebrities than you would realize. There are stressful components to this. I have to travel for work. I have to, you know, sometimes you'll get really excited. You book a huge guest and then something happens and they have to change their plans and it's disappointing. And there's all kinds of things. Hitting a deadline with a book, that is stressful. But all of my stress has a why. There's a why to it. I think the problem is when we have stress in our lives and there's no positive outcome attached to that stress. We're stressed because, you know, we're in a relationship and our boyfriend is an asshole. 
you know, he's a jerk. He doesn't treat you right. But like, you don't want to, oh, it'd be hard to break up or I'm not sure, you know, but we used to be so great in the beginning. And so maybe it's going to get better. Or like maybe the stress in your life, your girlfriend's crazy. You got a crazy girlfriend. She's super hot and the sex is amazing. But like, she's a lunatic and all your bros are like, bro, what are you doing? Like, Becky's nuts. And you're like, I know, but the stress has to be for something. Having stress in your life that isn't, that it's not attached to anything other than your unwillingness to confront why it's there is a waste of vital energy inside of you. There's stress in like, you got to go to work every day. You work at the local coffee shop and that's how you pay your car insurance and that's how you, yeah, there's stress, but there's something to that, right? There's like a paycheck. There's something. What I would challenge you to do is to look at where in your life do you have stress for no reason, which brings me to my next piece of advice, which is to pay attention to the people, places, circumstances, situations, anything in your life that creates stress without good reason. And ask, just go one at a time. You don't have to take all of them on at once. But ask, how can I make this better? How can I take on this one piece of stress so that I don't have to deal with it anymore? I have a perfect example of this right now. My teenager can drive. You guys, I got a driving teenager. And when he turned 15 and a half, his dad and I helped him to buy a used car. There was a neighbor who had a car, like broken down in the front yard, classic. That This is how I started. You got a used car. You got to help pay for it. Yes, that is how my son is starting his driving experience. I like to say, this child, you do not have money. Mama has money. You do not have money. And until you have money, you are going to drive this car. So a neighbor had a car. We helped him buy it. We had told all the kids from the time that they were little that we would pay for half of their car, meaning you come up with an amount of money through work, through babysitting, through doing what you're going to do, and mom and daddy will pay for half of that. And that is what we did, and he got this car. I think it has 160,000 miles. It's very old. She's just, she's hanging on by a thread, but she's like, I I took her for a drive because I wanted to make sure, you know, that it was good and, and safe and whatever. And I was like, yeah, this is the exact kind of first car that you need to have, which is like, she's got weird quirks and weird, you know, you got to jiggle this handle to make this thing turn on. It's a whole thing, but it's an old car. And pretty early on into having it, the battery died. So you jump the car. We show them how to jump the car. This is what you do. Uh, hilarious moment in that old car. We jump her. Um, she turns back on, but she turns back on with the alarm sounding. And he experienced an incredible moment in a young driver's life, which was having to drive the car to the mechanic while the car alarm <laughs> I, again, laughing so hard I'm crying as he's mortified driving this broken hoopty down the road. Anyway, battery dies. He jumps it. We drive. A few weeks later, battery dies. We jump it. He drives. And in the beginning, I'm trying to explain to him. I'm like, you don't know your car yet. Her name's Monica. 
He named her Monica. I'm like, you don't know Monica yet. Monica has, you know, she's got quirks. She's got things. You don't know her things yet. My first car, you had to, um, the engine would overheat really easily and I couldn't afford to fix it. So um, I used to have to drive everywhere I went with the heat on full blast so that the air from the outside would use the, like it would pull heat off the engine. It was a whole thing. And your feet would, you know, get blistered because all the heat was going on to your, it's a whatever. We all have our version of this. So he's rolling with Monica. Her battery keeps dying every single time. You know, he goes out to like drive to school in the morning. The battery's dead and he jumps. It's a whole thing. This morning it happens. And I'm like, we can keep jumping the battery. You can keep encountering this bit of stress in your life. Never know when it's going to show up. Every single time we can keep jumping the battery for this car. Or you can save some money and get a new battery. And he's 16. He's broke. He's going to have to work to earn the money to do that thing. Until then, you got to keep jumping this car. you got to make it work. This is life. This is what life looks like. you got to make things work. But let's be smart about it. Yes, you're right. It would be funner to use that money that you're going to earn and go vintage shopping with your friends. Go to the movies. Go have fun at the mall. But growing up and hopefully growing up and setting your life up so that it feels better is about identifying those points of stress and eliminating them where you can. Doesn't mean you'll be able to eliminate them today, but I hope that by teaching him this thing, okay, let's start saving our money. Let's look for opportunities to get some work done. Let's figure out how we can get to a place where we can replace this battery so you can count on the consistency of your car working. You don't need to stress out about this when it shows up unexpectedly. So I'll ask you the same thing I asked my teenager. Is there an opportunity for a point of stress that keeps showing up in your life where you can make a different decision that would make the overall feeling better. This requires contemplation. This requires that you take a step back, that you look at your life, that you ask some questions, that you pay attention, hear me, that you pay attention to when you start to feel stressed. What are moments in your life where you were feeling good, everything was good, everything was fine, maybe you were super happy, maybe you're just having a chill day, and then something happened and all of a sudden, you're in a terrible mood. You're super stressed out. Your anxiety's through the roof. You're having this really hard moment, and you weren't before. Most of us will immediately jump into trying to fix the stress we're feeling, which is great. But in the immediate jump to trying to fix the stress that we are feeling, we rarely stop and ask ourselves, what triggered that stress in the first place? One of the most powerful things I ever learned to ask in my journey of therapy and trying to understand how my brain works, this might not work for everybody, but it's very helpful for me, was to start asking, what set me off? When did things change? When did my energy change? When did this happen? Because I wake up almost every single morning feeling great, super optimistic. It's going to be a great day. I'm a happy person by nature. So if all of a sudden I find, oh, it's the end of the day and I'm so stressed out or I'm so anxious or I'm so grouchy, I would backtrack in the day and identify when was the moment it changed for me. 
It could be something as simple as, you know, when I was driving to work this morning, the traffic was really bad. It stressed me out. And I was never in a good mood after that. So, okay, cool. If I know that traffic stresses me out, there are things I can do to make myself feel better. Maybe I take a different route to work. Maybe I look to carpool with someone so I'm chatting instead of driving by myself. Maybe I need to listen to a podcast. Maybe I need a new playlist. Maybe I should bike to work or walk to work. If you can identify what's made things change for you, you can give yourself options. But too many people are going through their day and they're not unpacking. They're not looking at what's behind you know, Oz's curtain. They're not looking at what the problem is. They're treating a symptom, right? They're treating the symptom. They're not treating the root cause of what made that symptom occur. So yeah, look at what's setting you off. Is it a person? Is there someone that you need to interact with less? Is there someone that you shouldn't interact with unless you're in an okay state? Is there someone that you know in your heart of heart should not be in your life because it's bad for you emotionally? It's bad for you energetically. You should not have this person there, but you keep them there because you don't want to have a confrontation. I think it's uh, Tim Ferriss says, the quality of our life is often directly proportional to our willingness to have hard conversations. That's good. That is good. So where in your life do you need to have a hard conversation? You know, maybe you're like, well, Rachel, you know, my job is stressful. I hate my job. Okay, what are you doing to fix that? What are you doing to change your mindset? If you can't leave your job, okay, how do we change our mindset about the environment we're working in or the people we're working with? How do we reignite the passion that we had for this job when we first got it? How can we use gratitude as a way to help ourselves feel better? If you don't have control, if you truly, really do not have control over where you work, if you're like, this is what the option is for me right now, okay, well, you can't change your environment. You can change the mindset you walk into that environment with. But maybe it's not even about mindset. Maybe you have a job that you've outgrown. Maybe it's no longer serving you. Maybe you got a new manager and that new manager does not align with the way that you want to be out here in the world. Maybe you thought that you wanted to be an accountant and you went to college to be an accountant because that's what your parents wanted you to do. And now you're doing it and you hate it. Maybe you wanted always to actually teach guitar lessons on YouTube okay, great. Do you need to be an accountant right now and then take up a hobby teaching guitar lessons on YouTube? Do you need to throw deuces to your accounting job and just jump into the deep end of the pool and see if you can make it as a guitar teacher on YouTube tomorrow? I wouldn't recommend unless you, you know, have a trust fund or something you're bringing into the mix. But there are so many ways What's that old expression? There's so many ways to skin a cat. I don't know what that means. I probably offended cat lovers. I would never skin a cat. But the old expression says there are many ways to do it, apparently. I think the same thing is true for life. There are so many different ways for you to take on a challenge. There's so many different ways for you to pay rent. There's so many different ways to make money, to bring income into your life, we just get stuck in the things that we know. You know, we get into these 
seasons or these experiences in life, many of you might be in one right now where life is like not that great, but it's also not terrible. And maybe your life's been terrible before, so not that great feels pretty good. You did not come to this planet. You did not come into this space that you find yourself in right now listening to this podcast. You did not come here so that you could live a life that's kind of okay. That is not why you are here. That is not why your creator put you on this earth. There is a reason. There is a purpose. There is a why. And I am the first person to tell you that life is not always going to feel good. It's not always going to be happy. It's not always going to be, fuck, it's very rarely going to be perfect. But it can be. There are moments. There are moments of joy and goodness and laughter and fun. And I do believe that we can tip in the direction. So most of the time, life's great. There's hard stuff too. But most of the time, my life is great. And my life is great not because of money or success or work or my life is great because I've really worked very hard to strip away the pieces that hurt me, that were unhealthy, that were wrong, that didn't line up with the woman that I am today. I have made life-changing, earth-shaking decisions that not just privately but very publicly had people talking about me, writing about me, articles, whatever, because it was what was right for me. Having a very public relationship that people know about and making the decision to leave that marriage because it was deeply unhealthy, knowing that I would be judged for it, never really, to be honest, knowing I couldn't have anticipated how mean people would be about that, especially women. I, I couldn't have anticipated that. And of course, people who did not know the behind the scenes and did not know, they just didn't know. And not that it's anybody's business, but like to feel like you're making this decision that you have to make. There is no other option. You have to make for you, for your children, for your family, for people to be okay, you have to make a decision that you will be judged for. Being willing to do that because on the other side of it, I could see a glimmer of possibility of peace. So I'm not just some random person telling you like reach for joy or like cut people out of your life or make changes if those changes are going to help you be healthy, be free, function better, take care of your kids better, all of that. I'm speaking as someone who did it. And it's ironic because I think if I had known how bad the fallout was going to be, I probably would have uh, stayed longer. I probably would have stayed in a really unhealthy place longer because I probably would have been 
pretty chicken shit about facing something that I knew, you know, people were going to be so harsh about. But as someone who's made a decision like that, as someone who was in a relationship where the relationship and the partner were the greatest stress in my life for years and years and years and years, making that decision, even with the shit show, even with the fallout, even as hard as that was, I'm the person on the other side of it that is going to tell you that your peace, that your ability to take care of yourself, that your ability to not be inside of a toxic relationship, that's worth anything. That's worth being judged. That's worth making someone angry. That's worth people not getting you. That's worth losing friends. That's worth everything. We all have the right to fight for living a life peacefully without other people's toxicity, like taking control of all the pieces, but especially as a mom, especially as a mom. I'm not someone who's telling you like these things will lower stress and just do it. I read about it in a book. Like I am someone who actively chose to essentially burn down parts of my life unknowingly at the time was choosing to burn down a lot of pieces of my business, a lot of fans, like a lot of things that really were stripped away in that change. And at first, when you make a decision like that and you're watching all of the fallout, there's this part of you that's like, oh my, oh my, oh my God, oh my God, what am I, what did I do? What is, this is so much worse than I thought it was going to be because you're just in the suck and it's all hard and nothing feels like it's getting better. But slowly, 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 three years later, I can tell you that even though parts of that are still so hard, I know that that was the right decision. I know, like I literally can't imagine. That's the expression, God protects fools and children. And I feel like God knew that I was a fool about how hard that was going to be. And she like put blinders on. So I just, all I had in that moment was faith that there had to be something better than what I was in. And I was right. But I think I've told you guys before, uh, one of my dear friends, Britt Barron, wrote a book called Worth It. And in the book, she essentially talks about this idea that, you know, the world will always tell you like, oh, it's amazing. Like I did this thing and it blah, blah, blah. And it was all this stuff and whatever. And that they don't tell you sort of the shit storm that that decision created. They just sort of show you the aftermath. <laughs> so she tells this beautiful story about being the pastor of a mega church and coming out as a queer woman and, you know, meeting her wife and all of these things. And that people only show the other side. And the book really talks about what is the what is the interim? What is that messy sort of middle? What is that that part in between? But when you look at the other side, it's worth it. 
the life that you get to live today is worth it. But it doesn't mean that getting to the piece that was worth it, it doesn't mean that the piece in the middle isn't going to be brutal. I know I just went really deep on that idea. But whether it's the simple thing that you can change, like saving up to change out your car's battery, or hey, my relationship with my mom is toxic. She's a narcissist. She's this, she's that, she's the other thing. And I need to make a decision to cut her out of my life because, you know, for me and my wife, you know, she's a terrible mother-in-law and like she's hurting our kids and whatever your story is, whether it's something simple or something heavy, the first step is just acknowledging that there are solutions that will make it so you don't have to deal with this thing. The last one is simple. And you've probably heard me say it before. And I'm just going to keep saying it. Adaptogens. Adaptogens are substances used in herbal medicine for stabilization of physiological processes and promotions of homeostasis. So that's what Wikipedia says. I'm just going to lay it out in my own special terms. Adaptogens are herbs, plants, different things that you can buy at the grocery store and take as part of your daily regimen that help you to feel calm. I am convinced that if more people understood adaptogens and could try them out as a safe, herbal, over-the-counter remedy, we would not have the epidemic of people addicted to benzos that we do. Benzodiazepines are medicines that are commonly used. They're like depressive medicines. So they're the things that doctors give people. Um, if you're feeling anxious, if you have nervous issues, if you are struggling with something, that's when you might get a script for Xanax, Clonopin, Ativan, things like that. And those medicines are incredibly effective in the moment and are absolutely horrendous, horrendous for your system. Um, there's a lot of study and evidence now that if you start to use a benzo, it's Im almost impossible to get off of it. I've had you know addiction specialists on this show that talk about that being one of the hardest things to get out of your system. I did an interview with Dr. Drew, if you want to listen to it, where we talk about benzos. Uh, they're so harmful and most people who utilize them do not understand how harmful they can be. And most people who get access to something like Xanax are sitting with a psychiatrist for 11 minutes. Like they're not, it's not something that's monitored the way that it's supposed to be. Those medicines can be so vital and important if you need them for short periods of time. But most doctors do not have the time to make sure that their patients are actually using them correctly and getting off of them, like weaning off of them in the right amount of time. So you have people who are going through their whole life who always have Xanax in their system, who always have really intense drugs and don't really understand how that's affecting them. I, I think it's one of the greatest things affecting especially women who get put on it 
for something that if a doctor spent a little bit more time, they'd realize, oh, it's actually a hormone imbalance. We need to treat it this way, but they don't. They treat it with a medicine that then mutes everything. You're disconnected from your body. You can't actually get to the root cause of what's going on. And the answer is just going to be to give you more drugs. I will get off this soapbox. I'm just, I'm very passionate about this subject. God, the universe, Mother Earth, whatever you want to call it. I believe she gave us everything from the beginning. I believe everything that we need is here on this planet. And if we were in a tribe, if you went back to ancient times, if you went back to our origins, if you went back to indigenous people and native people and wherever you and I come from, wherever our family of origin starts very long ago, back then, there would have been a medicine man. There would have been a wise woman. There would have been what we later would call witches. There were people who knew how plants and herbs and berries in the ecosystem around them would work to keep us well. I think adaptogens are, are that. I, I literally cannot explain to you how essential adaptogens are to my mental health, period. If I did not know about adaptogens, I think I would probably have to be on something stronger. I think I would absolutely be the person who is, you know, sitting with a psychiatrist and being like, I can't control my anxiety. I can't sort of rise above this feeling. And the psychiatrist would then maybe tell me to take a pharmaceutical drug that's a lot more intense. Luckily, thank God, a lot of work with nutritionists over time have helped me to learn about plant medicine. And I don't mean plant medicine like, you know, peyote. I mean plant medicine like every single day of my life, I take something called holy basil leaf. Literally, it's a type of basil. Um, you can get it at any grocery store. You can get it on Amazon. Uh, no brand affiliation, but I use Gaia is the brand that I use. It's just the one I first got, and so I just always use it. I take holy basil every single night. And the only time that I haven't taken holy basil in the last, I don't know, three years, four, no, five years maybe, is when I was pregnant because I just didn't know how that would, so, I'd, you know, you just cut everything out. But other than that, I have consistently used holy basil as part of just how I describe it to people. I take it at night because um, it does really mellow you out. It doesn't make me sleepy. Like I could function with it, but I don't feel like my brain would be firing on all cylinders. So I take holy basil as part of my nighttime supplement stack. And the way I describe it to people who have anxiety is when you're having an anxiety attack or you're having anxious thoughts or anxious feelings, it's like you're in the anxiety. You're living in the anxiety. Adaptogens to me help you, you still recognize the anxiety. You still recognize this moment is a moment that makes me feel anxious, but you are no longer in it. It's like you're, you're outside of the anxious feelings. And if you're outside of the anxious feelings, at least for me, that's when my conscious self, 40-year-old Rach, not like younger version of me being triggered or you know, something showing up here, some part of me is surfacing and like trying to take control of my body. 
when I'm outside of those anxious thoughts, I can talk myself down from them. And I've definitely tried to like, oh, let me try a week without holy basil and see if like I've healed from this. No, (laughs) I still use it. I absolutely use it. And it's like the simplest freaking thing. It is over the counter. There's a plant that grows out of the ground. There's nothing. It's just like, I'm sure if you guys have hung out with me for a while, you've heard me talk about this endlessly. I cannot recommend it enough. And there's all kinds like uh, cordyceps, ashwagandha. I'm spacing on some of the others, but there's a ton of different adaptogens. I suck with holy basil because some of the other ones make me too tired where I feel like I like feel groggy the next day. Um, so maybe there's one of those that'll work better for you, but I really would love to encourage you if you're feeling stress, if you feel like you need a little help and a little support, it's just the simplest thing in the whole world. And I swear if more people knew about it, we'd have a lot healthier society because it's just, yeah, I can't, I cannot recommend it enough. So that's my pitch for the power of adaptogens for you checking that out. Obviously, anytime you're thinking about anything health-wise or medical-wise, talk to a medical professional. I'm just a chick you know on the internet. So what do I know? It's so, so, so important. There are times in life where we need meds. Like I've absolutely taken Xanax in my life. There are times in our life where you need something stronger. You need, you're having a moment, something's going on. You've experienced trauma. You're in, you need those things. And I am the biggest support in the world of take your meds, take your meds. But specifically when it comes to benzodiazepine and the medicines that fall under that category, it is the most abused thing I think, in pharma, in medicine, in the United States. I mean, if you watch any of the documentaries or do research, it's just, it's out of control. And the longer you keep things like that in your system, the harder it is to get rid of them, the harder it is to function without them. And so I just, for what it's worth, there is an alternate route. There's all sorts of alternate routes. There's therapy, there's prayer, there's meditation, there's exercise, there's there's all kinds of things to help you deal with the stress in your life. So uh, I just want you to know if nothing else from our conversation today, if the only thing you take away is this, maybe you need to have an orgasm tonight. <laughs> no, I'm, or you do for sure. I mean, we all do. Don't accept consistent like stress, 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 stress. That's not, that's not going to lead anywhere good. That's awful for your body. It's awful for your system and it's no way to live. So I want to challenge you today to identify the stress in your life and figure out some things that you can do to combat it. All right, guys, I hope that that was helpful. I hope, I mean, we talked about all the things today as per usual. If you dug this episode, will you send it to a friend that's never heard of the show? We'd just be like, hey, this is my girl, Rach. She's the best. Come hang out with us. And as always, I want to encourage you, if there's something that I talked about that made you think of an idea you have along this subject, put it out in the world, man. Tell people. There are so many people who are not ever going to identify with my storytelling or my worldview, but they would identify with yours. And the way that we as a community grow and elevate and become stronger is that we continue to share ideas and information that is helpful for us in the hopes that it will be helpful to other people. 
So I will be back soon with more info, more convo. Until then, as always, I want you to remember, I love you and I'm rooting for you. The Rachel Hollis Podcast is produced by me, Rachel Hollis. It's edited by Andrew Weller and Jack Noble.